I mean, if you if you really read Paul's writing when he went to them on Mars Hill, they were full of what? Idolatry. And he was declaring to the idol worshipers that Jesus Christ was the only true God. See, sometimes we don't we, we think if, if people have up idols or they have up false beliefs and they're filled with false doctrines, we, we sometimes think, you, you, you know, uh, God's not going to send us there. It may be the very place He sends you. It may be the very mind of the Lord for you. It may be where He wants you to declare Him. You know, that that we have to allow the Lord to really direct our paths. I know I know I, I, I take that usually spiritual because the path he wants us to walk in is is the walk of Christ. But even the path in the earth, the natural path that he would have you walk in, we have to allow the Lord to direct it. And in order to allow the Lord, we have to hear the Lord. If I don't hear the Lord how can how can he direct me if I don't hear him? In I don't know if someone would do me a favor if they would get me a cup of water or something like that. It would be fantastic. Uh, but uh, Andrew, if you want to do that, there there's a red cup upstairs. Uh, if you go in the back upstairs, just give me a cup of water. Uh, uh, but the the hearing of the Lord should be. You, you know, as a believer, you should hear Him. And and if we don't hear Him, we should ask why. And I, and you, you can turn to John 10. That's where we're going to start here in a moment. But I want to want to tell you a story, or, or not a story, just talk to you a minute, of Mary and Martha. And I mentioned this last night. Mary and Martha, uh, of course, are Lazarus' sisters, and we all know the story of Lazarus. And in the book of Luke, uh, in one place, Jesus was coming to their house. And Martha was very busy. She was very busy about, you know, she was preparing because here's the Lord coming to my house. She comes up to Jesus and says, hey, hey, Jesus, look, look. Martha comes up to Jesus and says, look at Mary. She's just sitting here at your feet. And Jesus' response was, Martha... Mary has chosen the good thing. Her portion shall not be taken away. So her portion was what she was hearing of the Lord. But in order to hear of the Lord, what she had done is sat down at His feet. And we're going to be talking about His feet in a moment. Okay? So, so keep that in your mind uh, here for a moment. And just keep, keep with me. So, so let, let me give you an example. Uh, I used to pray uh, about things. You can name whatever thing. If you're, if you're a young person, usually a lot of times you're praying about a husband or a wife when you're young. I'm sure people in this place have done that. They want God to send them a husband or a wife, and so on and so forth. And probably when you're older, you want that too, but, but so on and so forth. But especially when you're young. And a lot of times you have someone in mind. And you approach the Lord and you say, Thy will be done. Well, His will may not be in that at all. See, see what you don't approach the Lord, or, or we don't approach the Lord many times and say, What is your will? Not about husband and wife. Not about cars and lands and homes. 
Because usually when we're praying, God, your will be done, it's about something we want. Right? So we, we, we build God's will up about ourselves. God, God I, you know, I'm going to do this. What's your will? Well, He may not care if you do it or not. Because that may not have any inkling in His will. Have you ever considered that? His will is at a higher level. And, and, and you know, when you sit down with the Lord, you may want to sit down and just say, Father, what is Your will? You created this great big universe. You created man. All things are Yours. And without You was not anything made that was made. So why did You do it? Right? What was Your purpose? That's where we as believers have to go. What is His purpose? What is His mind? What is His will? Because when you start getting there, you'll become willing to throw your will away. Because you'll, come, you'll start moving into His purpose. And, and what measure of that you see... You will really, I'm telling you by experience, a measure of it. I, I don't have all the measure of it, so I'm not going to kid you. I don't. But, but when a measure that begins to work in your heart, you'll be praying and seeking a greater measure, and you'll also be allowing the Lord to rid you of your will. You'll realize, my will ain't that important, is it? We think, we think it is. But, but that, that's a working of the Lord. As the Lord begins to work in us, He'll work us into that place. And, you know, I, I said flip to John 10. Jesus says in John 10, and notice this is a parable He's, he's speaking. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 1, He that entereth not by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the porter openeth. And the sheep hear, listen to this, the sheep hear His voice. And He calleth His own sheep by name and leadeth them out. When He hath put forth all His own, He goeth before them. And the sheep follow Him, for they know, what do they know? His voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from Him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable, now notice what it said. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they did not, what didn't they do? But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Jesus therefore said, because they didn't understand. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. This good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, or layeth down his life for the sheep. So, so he declares himself the door. And so, so when I go back into my Bible and look at doors, 
Okay? Here's the way I study my Bible. I was wanting to do this in Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going next. So if you want to get ahead of me, flip there. But but now it's it's before me, so I'm going to I'm going to just lay it out with you. Here's kind of how the Lord has taught me to study. I didn't always do this, but this is is how the Lord has dealt with me. And uh, the Lord has been dealing with me uh, in the last year or two to really helping guide His people uh, in a in a way in a different you know maybe a different way than than I had before. But I I take a scripture that speaks of the door. You know, you can look at this a, a number of ways. Literally, He's the door. Is He that door? See that door back there? See, because it's, it, Brother Frank said, it's figurative. It's spiritual. The words I speak to you are what? Spirit and life. So when he says he's a door, so now I go back and look at the pattern of the door. The pattern of the door is, is shown, you, you know, really, the, the, you, you know, really starts in Genesis with, uh, with, with the, maybe before even that, right? I, it, it actually does start with Noah. Noah. Noah entered into the door of the ark. And he entered into the door of the ark and he was saved. Everybody else was not saved, right? And Noah and his family entered into the door. Now you come to Moses. and Mo, Well, actually before Moses, you come to Jacob. And Jacob comes into Bethel and Bethel's in the land of Canaan. And the Lord appears to him there. And he says, this is none other than the house of God, the door I believe he called it the door or, you know, but the house, the entrance to heaven. And he was standing on the earth. But then you come into Moses and Moses, and, and actually Moses goes in and begins to, you, you know, through the working of the Lord, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they're going into the promised land. And before they go out, why, why didn't it, it, Have you ever thought about things like this? I do sometimes. Have you ever thought, why didn't God, God says, hey, I didn't even have the microphone, so sorry. Now, I probably don't need it. But God says, you know, Moses, you're going to take my people out. But the Lord is with him the whole time. So Moses isn't taking it out on his own accord. And why didn't Moses just go down to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, let these people go. They're the Lord's, and boom, they're gone. They're the Lord's. No. Because God's establishing an order, a pattern, a type, a shadow. And so the way they come out is through a slain lamb. They don't come out before the lamb's slain. Do you realize that? Right. Even though God has come and spoken the Word and the Word's been given, the pattern there is a lamb and a lamb for a house. In other words, all the household has to eat the lamb. No one can come out unless they eat that lamb. So they have to take the blood of that lamb and they have to put it, get, get what they put it around. This is very, very important. They put it around the door. And they enter into the door. I'm the door. So that picture back there is the picture of Jesus. You're going to enter into this through my blood, my death. That's what that is. 
and you're going to come out in newness of life. You don't come out to the new day. So you enter into, they had to enter into that house and eat the lamb. They had to eat the whole lamb. And, and you know, I said this last night, unless you eat my flesh, Jesus said, and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So Israel was instructed to enter into that door and eat the flesh of the lamb and not to come out until the breaking of the day. And all that was typifying Christ. It was really typifying what we experience in Him, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. That's what it's typifying. We come out in Him. When we go in, we don't ever come out of Him. We come out in Him in a new creation man. That's what Jesus means when He says, You shall go in and out and find pasture. You never go out of Him. See, I used to believe this differently. I used to see it differently. And I, and I said last night, it was very recent, like last week, <laughs> that I begin to see with the insight, I believe, of the Lord. And I begin to see that we, and I've seen Him as the door for a long time, but I begin to see this part. We go in and out and find pasture. We go into Him. And that's, and that's what Paul teaches throughout his epistles. You are baptized by one Spirit into what? One body. Baptized into Him. So you go into Him and you experience His death. And His burial. His burial is the putting away you. And, and to me, that's, you, you know, like that house is like a tomb. They're in that tomb eating the lamb. Right? So they have to eat the lamb because the lamb is going to do away with them. And they're going to come out through the knowledge of Christ. Not going to come out through their own knowledge. That's why they had to eat the whole lamb. That's what that was speaking of. Because as you come out to enter in, and they were going to Canaan land, a place of milk and honey. You know the same thing he's describing. You shall go in and out and find pasture, a place of rest. So they were going into a place of abundance, right? And as we're told, I, I came that you may have life and what? Have it abundantly. You're going to find abundant life. When you come in here and you eat of me and you come out through me, you're going to find abundant life. And that's where you're going to find it at. You can find it nowhere else. You can try. <laughs> you, try you can try to go up some other way. And, and the thieves and the robbers may be the ones telling you that it's another way. No, it's through Him. He is, and He said, I am what? Way, truth, and here's truth again. The word, eat the word. Life. Now, 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 as I said that, the image of the tabernacle comes before me, right? And I'm trying to get to Revelation one. Maybe I'll get there. Maybe I won't. I think we will, just for a moment, anyway. But way, truth, and life. 
So when you enter the tabernacle of Moses, you come through the way of the gate. Don't come in there any other way, do you? You come through the door. So you have to enter in that place through the door. And you get met with a brazen altar, brass altar, bronze altar. And what you get met there with is death. You, you realize that? You get met there with death. And you come up to the place of washing, and, and I believe that does typify water baptism, but I also believe it typifies being washed with the water of the Word because that water there is mingled with blood. Do you realize that? The water in that, in that brass looking glass, the, the, the brazen labor, because the high priest is slaying what? The sacrifice. And, and, and the priest, that, that ordinance that's going out, they're slaying the sacrifice. Well, they're slaying an animal two times a day perpetually. And then whenever someone brings a burnt offering or a sin offering, you can read about all the offerings. There's a continual slaying of an animal going on in the midst. And so they're washing in that brazen labor. Again, notice the brass. Get a hold of this. So brass is speaking there of that judgment of death. So as soon as you come in there, you get met with death. Now you come into the inside. Remember what he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And here you have two what loaves of bread. Right? you got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Just a thought, not saying this is right or wrong, but a thought. Why is there two loads? One for him, one for you. One signifying all the things he did, and the other one is you partaking of them. Now you go into that third compartment. Just just type this out for a moment. What what is it? It's pitch black. Again, and when, when that place lights up, it lights up through the knowledge of Him or through the presence of Him. And that's light unlike light you've never seen before. See, because no sunlight is coming in there. So now that third compartment is speaking of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just throwing that out there. Now flip over to Revelation chapter 1. Now this is where the Lord really has me right now. And I love when the Lord, I love the Lord that He has me. <laughs> I can stand here and jump up and down that the Lord has me. That's an awesome reality. But in Revelation chapter 1, the, uh, the apostle John, in verse 9, says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in, in the isle that is called Patmos. I believe the word Patmos, if you look it up, means my killing. So he's in the isle of his killing. 
for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. The trumpet sounded like a voice, or a voice sounded like a trumpet. Either way, you, you, we, we won't get on into all that, but just mention this, this morning, when you go in the Old Testament and you look at the trumpets, does anyone know what the trumpets were made of in the Old Testament? Anybody? When they were... Before the, before the tabernacle was built, I believe it was a ram's horn. What is a ram? A male lamb. So they were trumpeting the death, get a hold of this, of a male lamb. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus, Right? So, so the type is speaking of him. So here we have Jesus and, and you know, John looked hearing a voice, and the voice said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, and to Ephesus, Merida, Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned, and here's what I want to emphasize, I turned to see the voice. And being turned, I saw. How did John see? He turned. Now, he may have physically turned, but that's speaking greater than that. His heart turned to see the voice that was speaking. This is one of the most important things for the body of Christ, to turn to see the voice. The turning of the heart. Paul writes about this in the book of Corinthians and says, when the heart shall turn. When the heart shall do what? Turn to the Lord. The veil that was done away, was already done away, in, he, in the death of Jesus Christ, shall be taken away. The veil of flesh, of carnality, is taken away as the heart turns to the Lord. So John, in a state of being, being turned, he saw. And what he saw was seven golden candlesticks. And I won't stop at every one of them at some point. I'm probably going to do that in, in some teaching. Just stop at all of them and go down through it. Gold is representative of the very nature, the divinity of the Lord. So he sees these candlesticks in completion. And what does Paul write to the church? You are what? Complete in Him. And where he sees these candlesticks at, he sees in the midst of the candlesticks who? Him. So in one sense you could say the candlesticks are in Him. He sees in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks one likened to the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs was white, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. Now, those are quite some eyes, man. <laughs> and his feet were like what? Fine brass. Where do you find brass at in your Bible? The tabernacle. 
the tabernacle, the brazen, the brass altar. I told you earlier to mark this that Mary sat where? At His feet. See, everything has significance. It's not just thrown there in the book. It's significantly in the book. So she sat down at His feet. And here, His feet are like brass as if they burned in a furnace. What was going on in that altar? Does anybody know what, what was in the altar? Fire! So, so there was burning, continuous burning brass in the altar. So John is looking at Jesus as the fulfillment of that tabernacle and temple. That's what he's seeing Him as, the completion of Him, glory to God, of, of what God had spoke through Moses, of what He had done through Solomon. He's seeing Christ as the absolute completion of it. And he, and he sees here, you know, and His voice is the sound of many waters, and He had in His right hand seven stars, and His mouth went a sharp to its sword, and His countenance was as the sun that shineth in His strength. So here again is light shining out of His face. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God we're at in the countenance, in the face of Jesus Christ. And when I saw Him, what did John do? I fell at His feet as dead. This right here, if the church could see this, and they can. I need to say it differently. When the church sees this, there will be a radical change. I fell at His feet as dead. He laid His power. His right hand, right hand speaks of power, right? He laid His power, His authority, His dominion, His right hand upon me saying, Fear not, I'm the first and last. I'm He that liveth and was dead. And behold... I am alive forevermore. Now John is living through Him. Now John's seeing this. Now this is already real in John, but he hasn't seen it. <laughs> See, because this, this is like us. It's already real in us. But we haven't seen what is real. And the transformation comes through Seeing. That's how it comes. And so, so write these things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And every now and then I kid about this and I'll throw my humor out here. And a lot of people don't laugh at my humor, but I'll throw it out here nonetheless. I say Jesus had to be really, really big because he had seven stars in his hands. Stars are huge. So if I literalize everything, he's got a really big hand. Right? But he tells you what the stars are. Anyway, we'll let that go. Like I said, not everybody gets my humor in. I laugh at it, and usually other people look at me like, I wish you wouldn't joke. You're really not funny, Brother Wayne. But anyway, I, I, I think I am. Anyway, getting back here, John fell at his feet as dead. 
Now flip to the book of Colossians. Because this is just turning over in my spirit. Over and over again, Colossians chapter 3. I almost wanted to start here, but I said, well, no, we're going to go through this. Colossians 3. If ye be risen with Christ. Now another translation says, let's see how it says, Therefore, if you have been risen with Christ, raised with the Messiah, but if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Brother Frank quoted earlier that you are seated, we're at Frank, with Him in heavenly places. Heavenly places would be above, right? So he says to seek those things which are above. Now, now he says in another place, you are seated above. But most of our conversation's not above. It's in the earth realm. The heaven realm is the spiritual realm. And that's above the earth realm, which is the natural carnal realm. Throw it out there. You can agree or disagree and take the Scripture and we can debate it with Scripture and debate it with the Lord. And that's who I ask you to debate it with. So I just say it that way. Just debate it with the Lord. Ask Him. Ask Him. See if if it's true. All right? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For why? You're dead. Now, I was almost convincing myself I wasn't going to do it, but I am, brother. (laughs) And I'm going to do it nicely, kindly. Listen to a song we love to sing. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. That song is in direct conflict, direct with the Word of God. But we sing it like it's the absolute truth. Paul says, you are dead. That means this life is over. Boom. How did my life get over? When he died, Paul said, you were made dead. That's why in the Old Testament there's the judgment of death. That's why his feet burn as brass, because that's the judgment. See, judgment's not a bad thing. We got this idea God's going to judge you and it's all just going to be disastrous if He judges you. That's not the truth of His judgment. That's punishment. I think what we, we don't understand sometimes, there's a difference in judgment and punishment. That's right. Judgment, when you go in the natural and there's a judge, right? And there's a wheel open. We're going to use this example. And so and so left Brother Frank uh, five million dollars, and he gave Brother Wayne two of it. <laughs> the judge says to Brother Frank, "It's yours." Now, was that a bad judgment? But still, the judge made a determination. A judgment is a determination on something. You ever thought about that? A judgment determines an outcome. So we read stuff like judgment's going to start in the house of God, and we and and you know I used to love to preach that scripture because then Sister Margaret, you'd be the first one I preach on because Lord, this woman's wearing pants. 
So I just said, she cut her hair. So now my judgment was all according to my carnal thinking. It wasn't according to the, the, the judgment of the Lord, but it was according to what I thought. See, the judgment of the Lord says you are dead in Adam. That Adam is dead. You've been crucified with Christ. That's His judgment. He's called a final verdict and He crucified you. And your life is now hid with Christ in God. So your life is no longer in Adam. It's in Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life shall appear, now if He's in you, where do you think He might appear? In you. If that's where He is, now, is he there? I'm asking a question. Is he in you? Yes. Well, if he's in me, could he possibly appear in me? And when he appears in me, I appear with him. We're at in glory. Why? Because he's been glorified. Glory to God. Could it be like that? I'm just asking a question. Could it be, may it be like that? May be that what the Spirit of God is trying to show you. Because when Jesus died, all were made to be dead. See, I'm going to pick on another song. I love to pick on songs. Lift Jesus high. Lift Jesus high. He says, lift Him up. We sing that song. I just love singing that song. I didn't know what the Word was talking about. He said in John, if I be lifted up at the cross, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all. How many is all? How many is all? All mankind unto me. Every man that's lived in the past, living now, and living in the future, I'm going to draw them to me. And he was said that signifying the manner in which he would die. So he drew up every man at the cross and crucified to God the whole Adamic race is crucified. And as what Paul said, Paul said, I am crucified to the world. Did he not? And the world is crucified to who? To me. Now, now, Paul never got crucified. But he declared that he was crucified. Because the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was Paul's crucifixion. This is what John's seeing in the book of Revelation when he sees him with feet like brass. Because the brass is the feet, you know, heaven's my throne and the earth, and earth is my footstool. His feet were in the earth rim. If you can hear that. So outside, so the brazen altar was outside in the sunlight, right? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that ministry of the Lord in the natural realm, He died the death of the cross. He become dead. And see, see, this death is so important. 
like the Lord began to show me, this is many years ago now, the Lord began to show me the cross, I began to see the whole Bible speaking of Christ crucified. I go back there, I had a young man ask me one time, and he wasn't prepared when he asked me the question. He's working with me, Brother Frank, and they, they, they said, uh, hey, hey, Wayne, I want you to train so-and-so. Okay. Go lay him ride with you. It's Okay. We're going down the road riding. <laughs> and he looks over at me, and you know we're trying to chit-chat. And he says, what's your hobbies? I'm thinking, do I tell him I like to fish? Do I tell him I like to do this? Do I tell him I like to do that? Like, do I really love those things anymore? At one time, I loved them. <laughs> I looked back at him and said, I love to search the Word of God. <laughs> it's kind of like you, sister. <laughs> this is my hobby. This is what I love to do. And so the thing comes out of his mouth is, well, if God is such a loving God, why'd he kill all those people? And I said, well, when we get out of this sales call, I'll tell you. See, he wasn't looking for that. He was wanting to say, yeah, I got you now. When I told him I'd tell him, when we came out of that sales call, he didn't want to go back into that conversation. He wanted that conversation over. And I said to him, I said, I said really, it was speaking of what Jesus did at the cross. Remember what he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me, and he crucified. I said, God was really showing what he's going to do at the cross. He was cutting off everything but his seed. I said, that's what he was doing. You go back there in the Old Testament. Everything that wasn't his seed, he was cutting off because that's what he was going to do at the cross. Cut everything off. That's not his seed. And that's why it's so important that the cross works in you and me. See, see when you, you look at the type of shadow of Ishmael, and, and Abraham brings Ishmael before the Lord, says, Lord, Ishmael, that Ishmael might live before you. The Lord says, he's not my seed. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Because even the type of the seed had to be Pure, right? It had to be God. So this ain't it, Abraham. This is a work of your flesh, and the work of your flesh is not going to dwell here. It's going to be my work, glory to God. And what God has done to you is brought you into His work. Has He not? Yes, He has. He's brought you into His work. When you get born again, what do you get born of? His seed. So you become, in fact, his seed. Now the church wants to say his seed is a natural seed. And I want to go, no, no, baby. Nicodemus was a natural Jew, was he not? Let's just take the Scripture. Let's just throw the Scripture out here. Nicodemus, a natural Jew, comes to Jesus. And by night, why did he come by night? Well, there's... There's spiritual reasons, but there's also a natural. He didn't want to be seen. Right. 
You know, he's a Pharisee. Man, I, I don't want to. I get seen. I'm going to get. My buddies are going to give it to me. They may even kill me. So I'm going to sneak around and go talk to Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't throw his arm around Nicodemus and say, Oh, Nicodemus, one day, because you're the lineage of Abraham, you're going to come into all this. Did he? He said, you, Nicodemus, a you. We teach this all the time, and it is true. But, but he said it to a Jew. You must be born again. You must be born of spirit. You must come through new birth to enter the kingdom of God. Both Jew and Gentile, Paul writes, have access unto the Father out by one Spirit. That's it. I can argue with that all I want. I can say I don't believe that all I want. And it's going to stand. Because if it's the Word of God, whether I agree, whether I disagree, it really doesn't matter that much. It does for me personally. Right? Because I'm going to get the outcome of what I believe and what I agree with with God. But with God, it really doesn't matter if I believe it or not. I can disagree with it all day. I can say it's not true all day. But if it's God's Word, it doesn't matter what I say. It's still going to be true. I, I, can, still, I can be wrong all day. And, and, the, and the beautiful thing with the Lord... Is, is it okay to be wrong? You remember, you know, His mercy, His grace is sufficient for you. So it's okay for Him to correct us. He corrects me all the time. He chastens those that He loves. And a chastening is a correction. And the natural chastening is, hey, let me get this. Me and Brother Frank love, love, love this, right? Pick up a switch. Get around. We love to talk about it. I talked about what my daddy used to do to me. He'd pick up that miner's belt, and he, man, he was chasing me. You're going to listen to what I say. And I knew when I had crossed the line, dad was going to get a belt or a switch, and this ain't going to be fun. Why I kept crossing the line, I don't know. Because I should have got it the first time, but I was too hard-headed. It, and it took me many, many times to get it. He's really going to get that. He told me that. He's already done it to me. And why am I doing this? Because I'm going to get it again. And then my sister Suzanne, for you all that know her, when she grew up, she would get it and, and seem like she'd get more trouble than any of us. And then silly me would laugh at her. And Dad would look at me and say, Oh, you think that's funny? Come here. And, and that should have taken one time for me to have really got a hold of that, that when I laugh at Suzanne, he's going to give it to me too. But, it, but, I, but my knuckleheadedness didn't get it. Now, the good thing with the Lord is He corrects us with the rod of the Word. So He doesn't take the switch and the belt, and I'm not against spanking your children, so don't get me wrong, but He takes the rod of the Word and He corrects me with the Word. And I'm thankful for the correction. Because the correction brings me into His life. 
I'm telling you that. I'm telling you the truth. I'm thankful God has corrected me over and over again in His Word. Because I'm knuckle-headed anyway, and I didn't understand it. And I, went, and I grew up repeating what a lot of people said. Never searched it out, but I believed it. You ever done that? Brother and sister told him said it. I had a brother ask me to come minister for him one time. And I come in and minister, and I started seeing some revelation then. When he first knew me, I was just a strong Pentecostal preacher. So he, he had loved me from that because I was kind of a legalistic Pentecostal preacher. Now, was God moving in me? Absolutely. But I didn't have a lot of understanding. Well, God started working some understanding in me. Just, a, just maybe a fraction of that. But a little bit. So I come and I laid out in this fellowship some understanding. And there was a brother back there that I saw by the Spirit had received some of Maybe only one. And they come to me. One of them said, something like mommy and daddy, grandpa and grandpa didn't believe it this way. Okay. And then a sister told me that something funny. She said, everything you said is in the Word, but I don't believe that. Okay. I can't make you believe it. But but the Lord, if we open our heart, the Lord can show us. And see, this is the this is the secret thing. John turned to see. And when I turn to see, I turn who I'm turning from is me. Brother Frank said it earlier. What stops me is me. When I begin to see some of the mysteries of the Lord, when He begin to reveal some word in me, I spent many days. Running out, I can remember one thing. The Lord just is just like the cross blew up in my Bible. I was reading a certain scripture, and I had a certain idea of what it meant. And all at once, I'm looking, and I see the cross. And I and I closed my Bible. I, I said in my heart, I'm like, I don't know anybody that believes that. But see, I was waiting for somebody else to tell me if I was right or wrong. But I'm sitting there before the Lord. The Lord's probably able to do it. So I closed my Bible. I ran out in a hallway and began to pray. And my prayer was something along the line, God, don't let me be deceived. I laid on my face many, many times, many hours crying as I began to see the revelation of Him to not allow me to be deceived. Not only did I not want to be deceived, I knew I was called in ministry, and I surely don't want to deceive His people. I take that very, very serious. And even today, if I'm speaking wrong, I ask the Lord to correct me. That's really my heart. Correct me, Father. But I want to be corrected. I'm telling you, that's one of the missing traits in the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't want to be corrected. They want to say, I've got it, I've got it just right, and I know it absolutely. Don't, I, I, I can't learn. Well, if you're there, you're unteachable. That's right. And if you're unteachable, you're not in a good place. I'm not telling right. you not saved. I'm not telling you not sanctified. I'm not telling you any of that. You, you, you know, but te- being teachable is when we allow, when the Spirit of God is going to bring us into a greater relationship with Himself. And 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 I and I tell everybody.
buy. Don't buy everything I'm selling. Search it out. Because I can tell you something absolutely true, or anybody can, Brother Frank can, but if the Spirit of God does not show you that, because I've said it, and it may be absolute truth, but your heart needs the Spirit of God to reveal it. We don't understand how important that is. One brother I've ministered with, he would talk about people being parents. You know, like Polly once cracked. Not that they had seen it. And, and they were saying, and he was talking about some people that were saying some true things. But they were saying it not because, you know, if I understand what he was saying, not because it had been revealed. They were just parroting what someone else said. God does not want you to be a parent. He wants you to know. Yes, He does. He wants you to absolutely know. And if you're going to move on in the Lord, you're going to have to be willing to be taught. Yes, He is. You, re- you really are. And, and you have to be willing to let things go. Yes. If you're not willing to let things go, sometimes that's hard to let them go because, man, I believe things since I was a little kid. I had I, I was raised in church. I got out of it, but I but I went to service with my grandparents as a little kid up. And if you told me then I was going to teach what I teach now, if you'd even told me that when I became a minister, when I became an ordained minister, that I'm going to believe what I do now, I'd tell you you're crazy. But what happened to me is I began to hear and see by the Lord. And when I began to hear and see by the Lord, it becomes so good that it's what I desire. And sometimes people uh, get around me and, you know, Brother Wayne, I don't believe that. And I'm like, well, okay, that's good. I do and I love it. You know, it's okay. I love what God is doing in me. I was talking about that last night. I absolutely love it. I, I, I have a lot of joy. I have a lot of peace. I have, you know, I don't have all of it, but I have a lot of it. And man, I see people in turmoil and I go, I, I, I'll try to help you, but if you won't believe this Word, I don't know if I can do it. Because the Word is what's going to bring you into a place of stability and peace and joy and health and happiness. But if you don't believe it, I don't know, I, you know, you can't pray it up. Right. See, we try to pray it up, sing it up, dance it up, and I've done all of that as hard as I could. And, you know, after God, you know, really with the right heart after God, and I'd still walk out going, oh, Lord. And when this Word began to break upon me, and I began to hear the Lord, God began to move in me in a, Mighty, wonderful way. And I begin to hear him for myself. And, and I know he wants it for the whole body. John didn't write this in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John or in the book of Revelation just for the Apostle John or just for the people there or just for the people somewhere in the future. He wrote it for the church. It was a word for the church. So I turn to see the voice, and I see seven golden candlesticks, and I see one with bronze feet burning as if they burned in a fire, and I need to go search out the bronze in the fire. 
it's going to bring me to the altar. It's going to bring me to the altar, and I'm going to see that altar is always through the Bible, and that altar is always speaking of his death, and his death is multidimensional. And one view of his death is just the forgiveness of sins. That's one view. And a lot of us, that's the only view we know is he forgave my sins, and that's absolutely the truth. Without his blood, there is no remission of sin. And that's a truth that should be in our hearts. He bore our iniquities. So we should walk in assurance that upon him by his stripes I was healed, and upon him the scars and everything he bore was for me. And I have that assurity by the Spirit of the Lord because I see that he fulfilled the death. And one part of that death is the forgiveness of sins. And I walk in that. Your sins are forgiven if you receive them. Glory to God. And that's glorious. But there comes a place where I'm walking in that, and it's kind of like the manna. I'm going to stop in a few moments, but give me five or ten more minutes. This is important. It becomes like the manna that drops down. I've eaten the true manna, right? That's the truth. I've eaten it, and I'm walking it. But one day, it seems like, you know, this is the absolute truth, but it doesn't feel the same way with me. You ever been there? I know you have. What's going on? I need to pick up and eat some more man. I need to eat a little bit more of his death. And when I eat a little bit more of his death, I come to an understanding. He died and I die with him. Or his death brought my sanctification, or his death brought my deliverance. So I begin to see the multifacetedness of his death. So it's not not just he forgave my sins; he he crucified the sinner. He got rid of the man of sin. He took him away. He nailed him to the cross, and he took him away. Behold, the Lamb of God. That he doesn't say takes away the sins; says takes away the sin. Of the world, the whole nature, the whole man of sin. The old man is crucified, and bless God, I am crucified with him. And I come to that reality, and I begin to see that. And God begins to just take up fragments of the Word of God, just like He did when He fed the multitude there. They took up fragments of the Word of God. And they took up the fragments so they could disperse them abroad. And it was in the number 12. Why? Because it's speaking of his perfect government. The government's upon his shoulders. Glory to God. And there's the fragment of the word of the living God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. To be to feed a people through the apostles. And everything in this book is speaking. But will I apply myself? I, and people ask me, it's kind of like they'll say, Brother Wayne, what do I need to do? Well, he already did. That's what God, what he, and that's what he said to the uh, rich young ruler. Believe on him that God has sent. The rich young ruler didn't want that answer. Well, tell me, Jesus, tell me these ten things I need to do. 
Believe on me. Just believe on me. Oh. But what else? Believe on me. Surely there's something else. Believe on me. Mary chose the good thing. What did she choose? To sit down at his feet and learn of him. What you need to do is sit down at his feet and learn of him. That's what you need to do. I work everything else out. You know what? It will. 